Welcome to Place Matters, a podcast about the intersection of race, place, and poverty, where we explore the belief that the path towards ending inequity and promoting prosperity is through the work of holistic neighborhood development. Welcome to the next installment of our series on FCS's three pillars. This series will focus on the pillar of mixed income housing. I'm Sean Duncan, the director of training and consulting for FCS and the host for Place Matters. There is an inescapable tension FCS steps into every single day. On the one hand, we see the impacts of years of racialized public and private disinvestment in the neighborhoods where we work. Opportunity has been concentrated in certain places and disadvantage in others. And our neighbors want to see more investment here. On the other hand, new development is scary because it can be a sign of, you guessed it, gentrification. Gentrification is a word that has lost a lot of context and has come to simply mean that the wealthy are getting nice new things built for them, and legacy residents who are disproportionately lower income people of color are getting displaced. Their history and legacy are getting replaced one coffee shop and brewery at a time. And this narrative makes headlines, but is it the story that is actually playing out? FCS has said that a healthy mixed income strategy can do development without displacement. It can bring the investments that benefits new residents and existing ones as well. But is a mixed income approach just a new term for the same traumas being visited upon historically black and brown neighborhoods? Joining me today to talk about this tension is FCS President Jim Weiner, our Director of Development, Joy Jackson, and FCS board member and longtime resident of South Atlanta, Lisa Hagen. Well, Lisa, first of all, how long has your family been in historic South Atlanta? I have been, my family has been in South Atlanta, I'm going to say, I'm going to go as as far as to say 80 years. 80 years. 80 years, because my dad is 88. Now, he did live in Pittsburgh, in the Pittsburgh community first, before they came over. So I'm going to give it... Eight to ten, so I'm going to say 80. That's wow. a long time. Wow, that is a long time. And for so, our non-Atlanta people, it's Pittsburgh, which is an Atlanta-based neighborhood, not the Pittsburgh, not Pittsburgh. Steelers. And we're yes, there, you know, exactly. And, and very close to where we yeah, are. So just yes. The, yeah, yeah. Yes. Which would so, have been like pre-connector, so like pre-interstate division between like Pittsburgh and uh, South Atlanta. That's a so, good yeah. That's a, And they used to walk. Yeah. They used to walk. They used to do a lot of walking from South Atlanta to Pittsburgh. He used to swim in, in um, at Pittman Park. Oh, yeah. So, so I've been here eight years. You've been here eight. Does that count for anything? In community 10%. Development? It's 10% as a person. <laughs> you can say, you can be honest. It counts. Yeah. It's a very, a, so eight sweet. very productive years. You're so sweet. Yes, yes. that is true. <laughs> so you have seen, your family has seen a lot of changes Absolutely. over the years in this neighborhood. Absolutely. Uh, how would you describe or, or what are some of the evolutions or changes you've witnessed in that in that time? Well, it it depends on where I start in terms of what I've witnessed. So as a youngster on my street, I lived at the end of Thayer Avenue. So we we lived on a dead end. So I I think that that's a privilege Mm. to be able to live on a dead end street where you don't have traffic. You knew that if somebody came down the street in a car that you didn't recognize, they were going the wrong way. You just get out of the way and (laughs) you let them figure it out. And then you watch them try to back up. (laughs) And so for us... Being in that community, being on that street, we we really had a sense of community because there were only four or five houses total mm-hmm. at the time when I was growing up. So, and my cousins lived next door. Mm-hmm. So we had volleyball nets that we would put across the streets and we played. We had a hill that we would ride our big wheels down. Um, we just and I'll we had a tree so many house. Plastic big wheel tires. Oh, <laughs> Doing yeah. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Power slides. Yeah. yeah. Power slides. <laughs> but we didn't have to worry about cars or it was like we had our own playground. Mm. So the street growing up on that street was um, looking back. It was just it was just a real good community. And we had a candy lady that we could go to the next corner to go to. We would have to ask him. We go to candy lady. <laughs> um, and we had a we had um, just. It, 
the changes from that, I still see the same street because my dad still lives in the, on the street. There are a couple more houses, a lot, lot, lot more community to, to deal with. Um, but um, as a neighborhood overall, I just see more people. Okay. More people, more hustling and bustling, more um, things that I never thought I would see in a good way um, and, and I, in a different way. I, I was at church one Sunday, and um, when I was leaving church, I saw a white guy with his dog walking what? on a leash. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what, whether you want to believe it or not. <laughs> that's a sign of neighborhood change. That's a sign of change <laughs> because my dogs would you let them out? Mm-hmm. You let them out, they go do their thing, and then you just go get them because mm-hmm. we had land around us, right? We yeah. never walked the dogs, yeah. so <laughs> it has. No, Jim. Jim. No, no, that, that's that awesome so because it could have been me. <laughs> it wasn't you. It wasn't okay, you. Yeah, you would have said, hey, right? Yeah, but that, but that wouldn't have been so weird, right? right. Because I knew you. Right. But this was somebody I didn't know. And I and when you grow up in a neighborhood where there are 11 streets, right, maybe five blocks, you kind of know everybody. You kind of yeah. have, you. It, it's a recognition of mm-hmm. family, who they belong to, who they lived with, and all of that. So... It has changed. We've got some sidewalks. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot more walkability. Um, and we've got stuff. You know, we've got a coffee shop. We've got, um, you know, a, a grocery store. Um, I've seen a lot of changes, and they've all been um, progressively um, good. Mm-hmm. You're making me think about the, the, the level of cohesion you're describing as a young person growing up and to think about, I think when people think about neighborhoods that deteriorate over time, uh, I think one of the they don't often talk about that though. Where with more cars, more internet, whatever that that there's it may not be an economic deterioration, but like I, I feel like what's had to happen in the last twenty years is not just think about the economic indicators of neighborhood health, but how do you bring back that? Like I think there's that, that even if we have all the best housing and businesses in the world, but we don't have neighbors who play in the street together who go to the candy lady, the corner, whatever. Like if, if we don't have all of that, then we've just built some houses, which is better than not having houses, but um, like building that, bringing that back, I feel like is probably the most important thing that I can think, be done. Oh yeah. I think that if there was an, um, if there was an in, intentional next step, it would be that. But I know that there are still things that are being done with our youth mm-hmm. that are planned activities and things that happen um, but I would love to see where it's not where it's the person who decides this is what they want to do mm-hmm. on their block, yeah. on their yeah. next block, on, in the community where those relationships are built because they like each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they say, hey, let's walk. Yeah. Hey, let's meet over. We used to play baseball in the parking lot of Campbell Elementary. That was like the thing <laughs> in the summer. So you'd say, Mom, can I go to... Uh, Campbell, what you going down? Well, I'm going to go play, watch him play. I didn't play baseball. But the guys would play baseball, and you had a mix of community from South Atlanta and Carver Homes that would just, that's where you went. So we'd sit on the step, we'd watch him play, and then we jump the fence and go home. Well, you know, now the kids, the technology, though, I think has a lot to do with the lack of interaction, mm-hmm. that social going outside and playing. Oh, yeah. That's, it's it's not a it's, thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it is not a thing. Yeah. And I, but I think that, like, when we think about being a neighborhood development organization, that we can't not work on that, which I think we're not – and that, that's not a – uh, an economic force we're countering. That's just a cultural force we're countering. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. care about your economic level of neighborhood. That 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 um, isolation and uh, uh, kind of living life separate is is become the way that we function. Right. And I think for other neighbor development organizations to be thinking about build all you want, address all the economic issues you want, but if you're not, if kids aren't jumping the fence to play together, if, if people aren't walking together, people aren't waving at one another if there's not a sense of belonging to each other then we're we're missing something really important but it and that may be one of the hardest lifts that we do because that is our culture accepts we need more affordable housing but i don't know if there we're quite as attuned to like we have a social sickness of of, of isolation that we've got to right mm-hmm. right dealing with. but if we have yeah. these intentional groups that we brought together then lisa they could you know if your neighbor is attending mm-hmm. 
then you're getting to know, those kids are getting getting to know each other, and they may not have otherwise mm-hmm. if we didn't have these programs. And then possibly outside of the programs, they are calling each other or reaching out, or their parents are getting to know each other and planning some of these activities like Absolutely. that that naturally will just happen on a street. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. So those things are very much cultivating mm-hmm. the next step. Right. So thinking about neighborhoods changing over time, and if somebody's in the business that FCS is in, it's like we... We want to work for change in neighborhoods, and I would say a lot of neighborhoods want to see some change. Like they're, they've been the concentrated inequity, right? They've felt that, they've known that, and they're saying we want justice, we want equity, we want a healthier place. Uh, but change is also scary, right? I mean, you talk about partially joking, but not seeing a white man walking his dog on a leash and like, oh, what's that mean, right? Or, or a white woman jogging in her three hundred dollar, you know, running outfit. Like, what, what, what's that mean for this neighborhood? Yeah. Um, but so how? If we want change, but change can also be even when good change is coming, it can be really scary. So how how do we work for change in a way that generates a sense of hopefulness and excitement versus fear that some something else is acting against me and is gonna gonna disrupt my my life? How do we do it? I, I think that that's a I mean that's a, a loaded question. Mm-hmm. I think that um, the way that FCS has approached it has been um, as good as it can be, right? As good as as good as it has been across the Atlanta mm-hmm. landscape. Yeah. Yeah. The the challenge is if you've ever tried to um, help someone who that who they don't want your help. Mm. And you know they need it. Yeah. And you can't help them in ways that they think that they need the help. Mm. That's the challenge. So the good the good changes that happen in a community, you, you're you still going to leave some people behind. Mm-hmm. And I think that if an organization is focusing on the, the good changes and they're also trying to help people who don't even know they need help, mm-hmm. I don't know what else you can do. Yeah. So if we feel good and we've, you know, checked the boxes of let me help people who are not even aware that they need it, and you and you get some people and you don't get some people, but you got to help them how they, you know, in, in a way that they can understand it. Then we've done that. Right. So we we are we're doing it. And I just hope and I'm and I hopefully I can do some more and get involved a little bit more as I have time now. But we just need to make sure that we're helping those who don't think they need the help and who don't think that they need the help in the way that um, we're willing to give it to them. And, and I've got some, you know, some very uh, detailed thoughts about that, but that's a thought. Yeah. I think one of the additions to that that I think of is um, if we are impacting systems in a healthy way. So if we said uh, the systems are working as designed and systems are made to be exclusive and we know predominantly as it impacts our neighborhood that those systems are exclusive um, based on race and socioeconomics, right? So, but it's where the systems are working as designed. Uh, there, there are going to be times where we're working on a system that impacts the whole neighborhood and that if we can add health to that system, if we can bend that system, change that system, there are people that are going to be helped by that that weren't asking. Maybe couldn't even state why. So we have this conversation about what does equity really look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a nonprofit organization that's passionate about uh, racial and social economic equity um, and pushing against forces of um, what would we say uh, concentrated concentrated equity. equity uh, if, if we're doing that, as we do it, that the, the whole neighborhood should feel mm-hmm. part of that lift, even if they can't articulate that. So sometimes because of the work we're in, uh, I'd like all four of us around the table right now would be pretty passionate about equity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And But when we're in the neighborhood, we may or may not be talking with our neighbors about like I might not have a conversation with Miss Phillips across the street from me about racial equity. I might right, right. because she would bring it up, but I'm, we might not talk about sort of 
racial equity technically, but mm-hmm. if we're doing things that mm-hmm. um, that secure her in her home, that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. are helping her, she may yeah. not even know FCS is doing it, is or doing it, or she is it. helping, mm-hmm. but um, it's helping. Right. So sometimes people don't even aren't may not even ask, but mm-hmm. um, it you know if we're lifting. Right. But I think also we have to um, be honest in our communication, you know, transparent. There has to be some um, um, community engagement and participation, um, collaboration with local leaders that can serve as intermediaries to those that, you know, between the neighbors and those that are coming into the neighborhood, you've got local leaders that could also mm-hmm. help in developing that kind of trust. Um, and then also, I think there needs to be some mechanism for um, feedback. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be in constant communication on what we're doing and how we're doing it and what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and if there are uh, reasons that we should change or do something different, we should be able to listen. So I think part of it is coming into a neighborhood and listening. Mm-hmm. Um, encouraging those that are part of the neighborhood to be a part of the solutions and keeping that continual feedback on what's working, what's not working, what feels good, what doesn't. Um, so it really yeah, does. Thinking of Hamilton, like being in the room where it happened, you know, I think that uh, that if, if the change is just the organization done upon or to a neighborhood, even if it's really good change, I think right. that's where you're going to generate the fear, the anxiety, lack of trust. But if the change is being designed and driven by what's changing, why is it changing, when's it changing, at what pace it's changing. If that right. if the neighborhood is in the room where it happens, that it's a collective project, then um, it's not nonprofit.org having to defend themselves to the neighborhood. It's a neighborhood having an internal conversation. Like, no, we need this. This is what we've decided to do collectively. There's a uh, an organization of ours that we've that we've interacted with um, that w- was having a lot of change planning meetings with some high powered folks, right? That have the resources that care about equity, that care about you know changing and making places more just and fair, and they're power players and they got resources and so they're scheming and designing what could we do? And they weren't ready to do anything. It was really meant to be like ideation creation. What could be possible? They kind of drew some stuff out to fit, like just to get their brains kind of hooked on what, mm-hmm. what could it look like here? You know, and it wasn't even, they weren't going to architect anything. They're just, they're just in the early stages, but it leaks, you know, uh, and the neighborhood loses their mind. Like, who are you? Who do you think you are? And again, like they didn't, int- they weren't intending to do anything without permission, but, but that story's played out so much. Like, and it took them two years to like rebuild the trust of that. Can we work together? Right. Because uh, it's like, oh, here we go again. People in suits with lots of money and lots of visions for us have drawn some plans and ain't talked to nobody. Uh, so I, mean, I think part of this is who's in the room, you know, who's in the room. And recognizing it's a gradual process, mm-hmm. yeah. that it is not going to happen fast and that you have to involve the residents um, and you have to um, respect their input mm-hmm. and um prioritize their needs over whatever needs that you thought you were coming in mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. solve um, because that may be very different than yeah. what you you thought. Yeah. Yes. And respecting culture, mm. you know, I think that's important too. You've got to preserve and um, have an understanding about the history of that, that neighborhood, preserving culture, whether that's in knowing the history or the art or the traditions mm-hmm. that may come. Um, and you've got to really um, respect it mm-hmm. and understand it. I would add to that idea of respect that you've got to choose trust. Like you've, you've got to trust it, even if, especially if you're not proximate. Mm-hmm. So the, the farther away you are from sort of what's happening on the ground, the easier it is to assume that you know what's needed, like you can see. But choosing instead to trust the input, like you said, of those legacy neighbors or mm-hmm. of history of, and meaning when I say choosing trust, it's sort of choosing to submit sort of organizational plan, uh, personal agenda, choosing to submit that to that neighbor or neighbors or wherever that input's coming from that's more proximate mm-hmm. and 
trusting and honor that, like I think that goes into respect, right? But um, because sometimes we can respect it, but still not trust it. True. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, there's a, a a client of ours that's doing some housing, and uh, like FCS, they're doing a mixed income housing strategy. And when they were doing some of the affordable housing work, like people were loving it, celebrating it, wanted to write in the newspaper about it. And when they started to sell some workforce housing, which bank qualified, you know, uh, potentially middle income, you know, then they got a lot of pushback. Like, wait a second, you're a nonprofit. What, what are you doing here? Are you, are you trying to gentrify this neighborhood, right? So to bring up the big scary G word, that they're, are you gentrifying this neighborhood? And so they've had to do a lot of work to like educate their partners as kind of what they're up to. And so, but at some level you can feel like they're, well, what is the difference between doing mixed income where you're deliberately trying to break up the concentrated of all low income in one neighborhood? You're trying to break that up and, and have mixed income places um, what's the difference between doing mixed income community development and gentrifying a neighborhood? What's so glad you there? asked? Yeah, tell us, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> you have opinions? <laughs> what? One. Just so one. <laughs> I think I think that it, it. I'm gonna speak from the level of it depends on who you ask, right? Okay. So you can ask and and give the definition, the you know whatever the definitions mm-hmm. are, but if if I talk to the person who owned a home mm-hmm. whose taxes went up by $500 a month and I, and I, and I know somebody, um, they don't care why yeah. they can't yeah, yeah. stay. Yeah. yeah, Whether the it was the mixed income people mm-hmm. or the gentrifiers, mm-hmm. they're not going to say, oh, I got pushed out. But you know, it wasn't gentrification. <laughs> it was just the mixed income people. <laughs> I'm happy about it because it was it was yeah a, it was because mixed it's, income. yeah yeah no 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 you don't understand it wasn't it was, yeah it was the it was equitable because the mixed income people had to come in yeah they don't care mm. so we have to be intentional about the people who can't stay regardless of what you whatever mm. the definite whichever whichever that's really good you you gotta you gotta make sure that they are standing on the same on that box that makes it equitable mm-hmm. because if they got to go they had to go mm-hmm. who cares why yeah. which word yeah mm. the end <laughs> <laughs> love it yeah. don't drop the mic but you drop the mic please don't <laughs> ouch yeah. yeah right wow so what do we do about that how do we well that i think that, that i think i think that um <laughs> FCS, because uh, that's, you know, that's who we are, right? Mm-hmm. I think that we have done some good work, some very good work. And I, and, and because when you, sort of when you own the store, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. We, we've done some good work to own the store. Sometimes we're not going to make any money. Yeah. Because we're giving away all the goods. Mm-hmm. But we're giving it away and we know it, Right. I own a couple stores, mm-hmm. and I'm giving away stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right? I'm not getting anything, mm-hmm. but it's because it's what I it's it's what's in me. Mm-hmm. It's not. I know that a change in rent, a change in the ask, a change can make some people not be able to be in this space. Yeah, yeah. So when you own the store. You might have to make some money over here to pay for the things that's over here, <laughs> right? And so I think FCS has, has done oh some. Oh my gosh! Has done some work, some good work in 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 our community, and always open to thinking differently, yeah. right? When 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 it comes to it, how do we think differently? Because that maybe I didn't think about that, right? But I think what what has what I am proud of is that we started this so long ago mm-hmm. that we've we have a, a good footprint in South Atlanta where some neighborhoods they it's out of control. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I live in Summerhill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh my goodness. Yeah. And the the beauty that's going up around me, it's beautiful. Yeah. I couldn't live over there if I wanted to. Now I couldn't buy over there if I wanted to, but I'm there. Mm-hmm. And 
if I there are people that are in Summerhill, they won't be able to stay because there's no FCS. There's nobody to see about them. There's mm-hmm. nobody who owns the store. Yeah. Different people came in and they own shelves in the store, right? I own this one, I own this one, and then trying to get all the rest of them. But I think that FCS has done a great job in South Atlanta with its longevity and in establishing a, um, a true footprint. I mean, really, yeah. the footprint. And so we've we've got some, we, we have a way to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I love your uh, push to say, let's not worry about the terms or the definitions. Let's worry about how is it impacting people. So... If we frame it that way, how do you do development to to fight against the injustice and equity of what we've done in neighborhoods without displacing people? Well, it's what it's what Jim said, right? It's the how do you change the systems that hmm, that put the people in the places that they're in, hmm. and then that's hard because. Everybody can't be the same. Everybody can't be the same. Um, and I don't. I don't know if I know the answer, but I do know that when as we when we were growing up, there were several housing complexes in the city of Atlanta, and there were good people who lived there, and there were people who would as my in my walk from um, Thurk Hill from home all the way up to the top of, to Upshaw, all the way up to the top of the hill to go to to, um, to Price, the apartments and the yards were always clean, you know, just mm-hmm. walking up. So South Atlanta was on your left and Carver Homes was on your right. And so we walked the sidewalk. The sidewalk was on the Carver Homes side, so that's the side we had to walk on. So the apartments, there were some places in the apartments where you didn't want to live on that street. You didn't want to live in that, you know, that place. But most of the apartments were places where it was well kept. It just was. So it's the people. And everybody everybody won't be the same no matter how much we want to make it that. Everybody will not be the same. But that's why if you reach out to the people and you give them the information and you try to help those folks, even if they don't know they need the help and they come for it, then those are the people you can't, you can't help everybody. Yeah, strategically, how does FCS factor into the account? We're we're changing the economy of a place. Uh, how do we do this in a way that doesn't displace or harm those folks? What are we doing to counter those forces? Yeah, there's no like one size fits all solution, and there's also always the challenge that everyone is not going to be included. Certainly, um, but I think the the approach has to consider the social and economic cultural impacts. I think it has to be an organization like an FCS that is intentionally keeping that in mind. It's all about the goal, the, the, mm-hmm. the approach, mm-hmm. um, and what you're trying to, to accomplish. Um, and there are strategies to, to help mitigate some of the the negative effects that that we're doing and I imagine other organizations across the country are doing um, around economic development, community engagement. Um, We're talking now about workforce development, job training, um, certainly affordable housing is included in that. Um, And I always go back to that preservation of cultural and Mm -hmm. and heritage identity. and um, just looking at it holistically, public transportation, infrastructure, um, and then the partnerships that we have with, with other nonprofits and other organizations that are, um, have the same motivation. Um, so I just think a combination of those strategies that are really tailored to the, again, the specific needs of that yeah. community mm-hmm. is what has to be top of mind. Yeah, and, and in South Atlanta, I mean, we're not a huge neighborhood, so we can really put our finger on people. Mm-hmm. We can really put our finger on people in the community who are struggling and where we might be looking to say, what what's the next house that we're going to build? What's the next house we're going to keep? Mm-hmm. Right? It might not be building the house for the next affordable neighbor. It might be 
helping to keep the roof and the siding on a neighbor. And, and, and there, there are a lot of partnerships out there. I mean, I've called for my dad on several occasions, but we might have to be that force that says we're building all this nice stuff around people who've been here for so long. Let's figure out how we can help them mm. without red tape, yeah. right. without the red tape, mm. with right. just simple, simple. Let me help you keep your porch on. Let me fix those steps that's on your house because we can do that. We, we have the ability. We can make so many decisions and changes without, um, you know, the red tape that comes with a lot of things. Be, and and I, I'd like, I know we've tied ourselves to some initiatives and some people and some partnerships that, you know, we've, but I think that we've done it in, in all fairness that it's going to be good for FCS. But I think we still have some anonymity to be able to do some things for our neighbors who, um, who need it, mm-hmm. who need it. And we can see it. Right. When we're building over here, we see it right there. Right. We're building right here. We see it behind them. Right. So I think we, you know, that may be something that we just have to look at and say, I, I, because what we're doing by being this good neighbor is we're bringing the attention to our community. And when you bring the attention to our community, then you bring out, you know, code enforcement, you know, mm-hmm. people think that we want, you know, folks got cars on the streets and shingles that's hanging down. We can't just be doing the good for the new stuff, right? We got to help yeah, these folks right. who, because yes. if I get a, a, a citation for something and I don't have any money to pay it and I don't have any money to do anything about it, where am I going? Mm. And who am I going to call? Mm. That's good. From a housing standpoint, Jim, is there a sequence? Is there a pacing? Is there a strategy that when we're thinking about uh, a housing approach that is less likely to have those displacing forces or is more likely to protect and preserve legacy and the, the folks that are there uh, so that, again, the good change is coming. We're disrupting uh, the, the concentrated poverty. Like we're, we're doing that work, but we're doing it in a way where people remain and stay and benefit. Is there a, um, is there a start A to B versus B to A? Like what, what's going to help prevent displacement versus another approach? Yeah, so um, when we look at historic South Atlanta, we're looking at a neighborhood that was predominantly rental at one point. And uh, when you look at, uh, when we're talking about, you know, the word or the idea of gentrification, uh, for for most people, I think, that talk about it, uh, gentrification and displacement are equivalents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it, that's what it means. That's what Lisa's describing, right? Like, it doesn't matter whether you used a mixed income approach or a non-mixed income approach. It means I can't live here. Mm-hmm. And so we think home ownership is still such an important strategy and uh, we will do home ownership in any way that we can create it, meaning uh, that the person that's going to be living in the house owns the house. Mm-hmm. And so... I would say we're always constantly scouring in the neighborhood looking for opportunities where we can build homeownership because when you have a homeowner, uh, it, it changes uh, the perspective of that neighbor. That, uh, that's a different neighbor than the, mm-hmm. than the renter, but that doesn't mean a renter can't be a homeowner, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I guess I'll say it this way, that we know from experience that um, that there are people in our rental program that could own. Mm-hmm. We know because they pay, they pay rent every month and we mm-hmm. know what they pay and they could flip that into a mortgage if we had a system that provided a mortgage for them. Mm. And so I would say what we're most passionate about and what, in my view, over 24 years in one neighborhood has been one of the most impactful things we've done. I would... I would put Carver Market and Community Grounds mm-hmm. up with that. Like, that was a good idea, and it's been better than we even thought. Mm-hmm. It's just has, as a community gathering tool, like, yes to that. But quietly, the home ownership work of Habitat, mm-hmm. our partner, um, and then FCS, where we become the bank and provide the mortgages. So we're, we're assisting families, uh, almost 100% black and brown, mm-hmm 
that the banking system locks out because its first indication of risk is a credit score. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so you have people that are forced into displacement because mm-hmm. they're chasing rents when we know they could actually pay a mortgage. They, mm-hmm. they pay in rent uh, um, what is almost equivalent to a mortgage. Mm-hmm. And sometimes so more. sometimes more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I would say when, when you're, you're asking what's the strategy Everything we're working with in housing, uh, from my perspective, yes to affordable rentals. Like we've expanded our rentals in the last three years strategically because we know there's less rental available in the neighborhood. And so we've expanded our single single family rentals. And we've also added an 84 unit uh, apartment complex in the neighborhood. So yes to rentals. But when I think what helps people stay in place and reduces displacement. It's the affordable home ownership piece. And so we're, uh, we're becoming a CDFI so that we can do more mortgages mm-hmm. so that we can, uh, find ways to create, uh, subsidies to o- allow mortgages to be affordable, mm-hmm. right. In a neighborhood that has flipped and is, mm-hmm. is no longer, uh, affordable for most of us. We, we had a conversation, two weeks ago with our directors about um, on on the majority of our team on the salaries we pay, they can no longer afford to buy in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. that is a new place for us. In 24 yeah. years, we've not been in that Never place, but that it, it happened yeah. this last 18 months. Yeah. And so, so strategically, how do we keep people? Mm-hmm. I, I think affordable home ownership, mm-hmm. uh, um, finding ways to be creative yeah. about that is super strategic. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like to Lisa's metaphor of owning the store is like the when people ask us about well, how do we stop gentrification happening in our neighborhood? Like the the hard answer is always like if you don't own enough, there's nothing you can do. I mean, like you can you can advocate for better tenants' rights protections. You can try to get your city to have like a tax relief fund for like and you should do like, all that, do all yeah. that kind of stuff. But at mm-hmm. some level, the mm-hmm. there is an aspect of this that the Maybe it's good news that there's an answer, but the bad news is how difficult it is. Is there's a somebody's that own the store? A couple of us are just visiting a, a potential client in a neighborhood just yesterday uh, that's was built by a mill mid 20th century. The mill moves overseas in the early 2000s, and so you see 20 years of an economic driver gone and disinvestment happening. And they're trying to say, well, what do we do about the future of this place? I'm like, well, who? Well, tell me about the people in the neighborhood. And it's it's like South Atlanta used to be. It's way over the top, majority rental, right? Um, and I was like, well, who owns all of that then? And they're able to say, like, well, there's basically five owners of the few hundred houses that are here. I'm like, well, if you don't change that, uh, it's, it's, it's this is like this sad news. Of like, well, then you're just going to be brokenhearted is all that it comes down to. It's like you've got to figure out how to get, if the city owns anything, how to work with them. Like, if or can you bid out any of these landlords? Like, you got to own the store and then have a have a model that pay. And I've, I've appreciated FCS's approach that we're gonna the first phase of stabilization. We don't start with the the, the right. workforce housing like because if you do that, you signal to the prospecting folks out on the outside. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm smelling money over there. Time right. to go. Yeah. Like, yeah. but now we've got those people coming in. And we can say, ah, we don't like it, but w- there's been enough stabilizing yes. work to be done that. People can because they own, they can stay. But then we got to think about well, what's the tax burden they're dealing with now? Like we got to think about some auxiliary programs, which then that's a tail end support versus that if that's the only thing you're doing, it just feels like you're kind of like you know water hose on a blazing fire. You know, you got to. We're in a we're in a. I, I just I want to just say we're in a. I think that South Atlanta is in a really good place. I'm very proud to have been a part of the initial mm. transforming days mm. of of. South Atlanta and the partnership with FCS, the partnership with Habitat. I just, I have just seen so much and f- the lift that, that has happened over all of these years, while you may not see it, mm. you know, fully, it's, it is, it's progressive. I, I wrote down the word progressive as mm. part of an answer to a question but you know how you go to a progressive dinner and you first you start off with these little appetizers and you're like, oh, that was so nice. Oh, that was cool. <laughs> then you get some water, sparkling water, of course, and, a, you know, maybe a spirit. <laughs> then you're like, okay, I'm feeling really good. Maybe. Right. 
maybe. What's it sparkling with, Lisa? And then, <laughs> and then you get to the next place, and then you've got, you know, your dinner. You're like, oh, it's a this is a nice mm-hmm. dinner. So you you know you were a little full, you were happy. Now you're like, okay, this is great. I think we're in the dessert part, mm-hmm. right? We're in the dessert part. We've progressively just you know fed this community and. You know, we've sparkled and we're and we're at the point where now what what do we want for dessert? Right. What what are we what are we what are we doing here? And then we're going to do it again. You know, but, you know, now we can say we can spread this out. But I think that in this in this phase of this progressiveness, we've just got to figure out who are the least of that we can help. You know, who's who's left? Who was here from the beginning? Miss Phillips. Right. Who was here? How can we not only just sit on the side and be proud that yeah. it's occurred, but how has it helped me? I didn't, it's, it's kind of like there are people who didn't necessarily need it. They, mm-hmm. they, they made it mm-hmm. and they're looking and then they've been able to do a little bit, a little bit, but they want to do like what you did. Yeah. They want to look like that house over there. Yeah. How can we help those legacy residents who yeah. want, who, who, who stuck it out? Yeah. With us. I just want to say, because Lisa doesn't know that we've heard her. Yeah. No, seriously, (laughs) on our board, she's had this narrative on our board for, I'm going to say, at least three years. She keeps encouraging us Mm -hmm. that what we're doing is good work, but uh, there are people who have been living here. And then Miss Maggie spoke up at our last, uh, we did an open house, and Mm -hmm. she was one of the neighbors on a panel, uh, and she... She just really honestly said, you know, I could use some of this help in my house and right. FCS isn't, isn't given it. And it's true because we don't do legacy owner repair, but I don't know if you know this, we've, we are trying to raise money now so that we can get into that business specifically okay. because of your input, Miss Maggie's input. And we've realized that that, that there is a reality. We've usually used partners. We've got good partners that do home repair um, but, uh, it is an important piece to helping our legacy neighbors stay mm. like, uh, yeah, continue to remain in the neighborhood. So I, mm-hmm. I do hope more of that's Yay. coming. Just and that's so why you, know. you have people like Lisa on the board. Oh, hundred percent. Exactly. Right. Yes. And that's why FCS is in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and half the staff lives in the neighborhood mm-hmm. so that we can hear from the voices and we can know exactly what the needs are from those that are that that are next door neighbors or that live in those homes, um, so it's important also to just have community people on boards and 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 part of staff making decisions. So we thank you for that, Lisa. So one final question. Um, at, um, uh, maybe it's because I'm ready for lunch and dessert was brought up and progressive dinner. Podcast I need some lemon pepper wings. I don't know what's going on over here, yes. but uh, Lisa time, just sent me down a whole trail. Next time you need food for the, the next group, okay? Um, uh, I would, like thinking future, uh, I would like for each of you to say, when, when you think about the next stage, that next step for, for historic South Atlanta, what is it you see or want? It may be a really small thing. It may be, you know, big, hairy, you know, audacious goal type thing. Like what is for you when you think next phase of life in this neighborhood, what do you want? What do you want to see? So I think if we've already discussed, you know, the stuff that, I, you know, my legacy neighborhood and legacy mm-hmm. neighbor kind of thing. But I would, what I would love to see is our South Atlanta park be like a very cool park, like mm-hmm. a pool up there, mm-hmm. Um, you know, some amenities and, and, a, and a make it be a destination from all the areas. Yeah. We, um, we did recently, we walked around and passed out flyers for, for our church. And I was able to walk to the end of the streets of the different, you know, that led up to the park. And while the park is there, you can get it from Gammon. You know, if you go down Martin, you're like, mm, I don't know if I want to go all the way down there. <laughs> and then you go down to Bisbee, you're like, mm, nope. I'm yeah. not going, I don't want to go such a in. Weird, yeah. cut yes. off from the neighborhood where it's located. Yeah. yeah, and then you go down there, you're like, oh, I, I can see it, but I can't get to it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. It would be so cool to have that park be a cool park for the in. size. Yeah. yeah, for the size that it is. And I can just see it having a, um, a little amphitheater because it's on a hill yeah, and, right. you know, maybe not a pool, but something. Yeah. But that, that would be 
that would be really nice for I love me. It. I'm sold. Jim, can you make that happen? Connecting to <laughs> connecting to the bell lines. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it already connects to the yeah. you know to the Carver Market yeah. area, which is a that's a whole different story for me in terms of the name of Carver Market. So, Lisa, <laughs> serious question. You mean you're not going up to that tennis court? Putting a pickleball net up and playing some pickleball. I just pickleball. knew I was going to hear pickleball. I just knew it, Lisa. No you saw ball. a white guy walking no. a dog, but you're not no. playing pickleball. You know, I played, I played pickleball at Washington Park about two oh, months ago. I just saw a it's demonstration so of it the other day. I didn't even know. I knew pickleball, it's, but I saw somebody doing it. Thanks, it's like a big, it's like big ping pong, right? Yeah. It's either small tennis or big ping pong. Georgia, what about for you guys? What are you? What um, do you see? I think we are doing some some good work, and we have been in this neighborhood now for over twenty years, so we have established a level of trust and credibility. Um, but I do still believe that we have to keep top of mind the centering of legacy neighbors. Mm. Um, so I am glad to hear um, your input, and also. Um, know that FCS is moving mm-hmm. forward in that um, in that area um, because that um, I think those um, residents are key to the cultural sensitivity that we need. Mm-hmm. They are key to um, the um, just the way that we want to continue forward in respecting the wishes of those in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there should be more focus on preserving that um, and making this, you know, this inclusive, inclusive means not mm-hmm. just, you know, income or race, but it means legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we've got to really keep that legacy top of mind. Jim, what about for you? Hmm. I don't know if I could improve on that. Um, obviously, I, I think uh, in terms of leading FCS, I think hopefully in a good way, but I think like a real estate developer. I hmm. think meaning there are still places in South Atlanta that I would like to see flourishing. Hmm. And so, um, a couple industrial plots may be yeah, top of mind um, there, yeah. <laughs> I got two of them that I I think are important businesses in the area. They provide jobs Mm -hmm. um, and things like that. But when you look at South Atlanta and what does flourishing look like, I think it it looks like something different than a a tow yard Mm -hmm. and a cardboard recycling plant. Mm -hmm. And I I don't mean to be critical of those businesses, but they are big plots of land Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, I'll be honest, I think about um, the tow yard especially, and at some point that's going to sell. Like the way the Atlanta is growing and moving, this is what I mean. I think like a developer. I I don't mean that I just want to build big real estate everywhere, but I think in terms of that for South Atlanta, all this work we're talking about to create an equitable neighborhood and to create a mixed income neighborhood and to honor our legacy mm. neighbors can be overrun in two years to three years if if that it's tow yard big, gets sold to a yeah. to a major developer that that doesn't care about the neighborhood and so um, I think future I think about that property redeveloped to include. Um, uh, affordable and mixed income uh, housing and commercial spaces that we all, that all of our neighbors can participate in. Hmm. Um, And I, even as I say that, I know that's really hard. You know, we just did a 84 unit um, apartment complex and it was, it's a a low income housing tax credit Mm -hmm. funding and that puts federal guidelines on it. And man, it was an eye opener to us. We of how difficult it is to manage federal dollars Mm -hmm. so that they're inclusive. Mm. And that's a program that's designed to be affordable. And I, I would say, uh, I don't, I I don't want to overstate it, but I, I would say 
we just were surprised about how many of our neighbors can't afford to get in an affordable housing complex. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I think about these other sort of, like I said, real estate things, um, and I envision what could be. Mm. So if we think 24 years of work done in the neighborhood, what happens with those two plots of land decides whether what we've done stands for another 25 to 30 years or whether it, I don't want to say gets erased, but it gets changed in two or three years by what's developed. Mm -hmm. And that's not the neighborhood's fault, right? right? Like Mm -hmm. that's happening at a a level sort of above, but that's where for FCS, Mm. I want to be involved. I want FCS to be working on behalf of the neighborhood so that um, it, it, the cost of those properties, Mm -hmm. I mean, it outstrips anything FCS has done, but I'm pushing yeah. It's like, oh, we've got to find a way. We've mm-hmm. got to find a partner that can afford it. Yeah. We've got to find a way to afford it. Because if we can do that, mm-hmm. then we solidify. Because Historic South Atlanta is a unique, mm-hmm. it is a great neighborhood yeah. to live in and to be in. And I like to keep it that way. Yeah. So if you want to fund that, email joy at fcsministries.org. That's J-O-I, J-O-I at fcsministries.org. That's right. No, this has been such a treat to talk to you guys. So thank you so much for being a part of this and just doing what you're doing for this neighborhood. Thank you. Okay. Thank awesome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Guys. you. <laughs> Yay. The best way to learn about our housing work and everything else we do is to come and see it for yourself. We love hosting guests in our neighborhood and at FCS. Coming March of 2024, we will be hosting a two-day immersive event that we simply call Open House. Come, meet our team, see the work, and walk the neighborhood. To register, go to fcsministries.org slash openhouse. Place Matters is produced by Focused Community Strategies, whose mission is to partner with under-resourced neighborhoods to provide innovative and holistic development that produces flourishing communities and God's shalom. Place Matters is hosted by FCS's training and consulting team. If you'd like to inquire about our training and consulting services, please reach out to us via our website or find us on LinkedIn and social media. This information can be found in your show notes. If you'd like to watch these episodes, the video can be found on our YouTube channel. And if you did like this episode, please share it on social media. Your support means a lot to us. The show was edited by Tim Rose with music by Eric North. Special thanks to David Park and Becca Klein at FCS for their work in organizing and recording these sessions. And we would like to say thanks to our partner, Lily Endowment Incorporated, whose Thriving Congregations grant has made this podcast possible. Mm-hmm.